0: I'm just so glad I get to be up here. Um, Just hearing these songs reminds me of just the grace that God has given me. Uh, First to save me, and now even to preach his word. So if you would just stand up as we read God's word together. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there is one under your seats. And if you would turn to page 669 in your Bible, in that Bible under your seats, you can follow along with me. Uh, If not, the words will... Uh, be on the screen after somebody goes get their kids. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, So glad I get to share in this series. Uh, uh, We're still in this series called Conquer. Uh, We're going through the seven letters uh, to the church of Asia Minor. And so there's seven letters to different churches. And so uh, the, in these seven letters, Jesus is really presenting himself as a God that we are, that is trustworthy, that we can trust in. And so uh, let's read uh, Revelation chapter 3 um, verses uh, 7 through 13. The letter to the church of Philadelphia says, write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have, been, because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Notice this. Note this. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he will never go out again. I will write him I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God in my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Uh won't you sit down and pray with me? Father, we thank you. Uh, I thank you for this opportunity myself, God. I'm honored by the fact that I get to preach your word, Father, because it's your word that we hold on to and gives us hope, God. And as your word is preached, Father, I pray that it will not fall on deaf ears or, or hearts that are of stone, Lord. But those who will receive God's word, let everyone who has an ear to hear, Lord, listen to what the Spirit is saying to this church. So we thank you, Lord. Hide me behind your cross. I have nothing good to offer, Father, just your word. Your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, again, I'm excited. I'll get an opportunity to preach and and share in this this sermon series um, in Revelations. One of the things I have been led well by Pastor John and Pastor Richard, let's give it up to them. (laughs) Amen. I don't know about you, but it's been amazing just to sit under their preaching. But I got a question to ask you. If I were to ask you to find greatness, what would you say? I know some of us might be thinking, man, what what do you mean, Pastor Moe? But I I want you to think about it. If I were to ask you to define greatness, what would you say? I know it will probably be hard to come up with a concise definition. I think for many of you guys, you would agree that the subject of greatness is, is kind of subjective, right? One person might come up and say, I believe greatness is being the best at something. Another person might say, being respected by our peers, But let me say a few names, maybe to help color our perspective. Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, Rosa Parks. When I mention these names, all of us, they conjure up greatness in our minds, don't they? See, mostly because of what they symbolize and how they contributed to the world. Yet if we looked at them all clearly, we would see that their greatness came from the faithfulness to their cause. They were faithful to, to their core convictions and all of them, even all of them in separate ways would even sacrifice their life for their cause. Amen. So when we, but when we talk about the, the, the greatness of the church, I don't know if faithfulness would be that thing that we put on our top ten list. Right. I don't think it would be the primary way we would describe greatness as a church. I think when we talk about greatness. We talk about things like a new building or larger numbers at our services or, or maybe larger numbers in our membership or maybe great programs, maybe things that fit our desires. Maybe it's the popularity of a pastor. Maybe it's conferences. Who knows? But, but when we look in Jesus' eyes, the, the church's greatness is defined by their faithfulness to him, right? It's, it's not by trying to make him look good. Look, look I, there's no possible way that we can make Jesus look any better, Amen? I believe in excellence. I do. But church, then we can't try to do our best to make Jesus look any better. He is God. He is perfect. The gospel is the good news. Amen? Listen, friends, we don't have to market Jesus. We don't have to market Jesus. We don't have to put on a good commercial, da 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 you know, I'm loving it or something like that. We don't need to do that. God has not called us to make him look good. God has called us to be faithful to his cause. I believe in this letter to Philadelphia, we're going to see their greatness came from their faithfulness. I only have two points today, church. Only, only two points. Very simple, that faithfulness means obedience. And faithfulness, number two, is faithfulness is motivated by God's promises. First, let's get some context about this church in Philadelphia. First thing we might notice is that there's nothing but celebration about this church. It's like the church of Smyrna. If you hear any forcefulness about uh, this church from, from the tone of Jesus, because it's like a parent who, who wants to care for their little child. The church is facing persecution and hardship, but still they're celebrated for what? Their faithfulness. We don't know much about this church except that what comes from this letter. We can see that they're weak and, 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 and they are faithful at the same time. Now, the city of Philadelphia is an important city. It's known as Little Athens because of the Greek cultural influence. It's known as also the Gateway to the East, because it was one of the most important cities on a trade route uh, that led to the rest of a- uh, to Asia. It was sort of like the west side of Atlanta. you know, people were looking at it as, as a place of opportunity. So if I would go there, I would invest and I could make a whole bunch of money. Amen. <laughs> That's that's what they saw as the city. But we have this small little church facing the pressures of a booming city. They they felt marginalized. This is why Jesus presents himself in this letter like he he does in all the letters in a powerful way. Like Jesus does in all the letters, he he presents himself in a way to meet the, the church's needs. That's what what Jesus has been doing and through all the letters, all the previous uh, five letters of of this text. He's been presenting himself in a way that would demand our trust. He says in this text, he says, I am the holy one and true one. Both are names that are given to God in the Old Testament. The first one means he is God. That means he is supreme. He is perfect. The second one means he's real and he's trustworthy. See, he uses his na- these names to help them realize he is who they believe him to be. Let- let's be honest. One of the things that we can do when we're facing hardships and, and troubles is that we-, we can disbelieve who Jesus is. And so what Jesus does, he comes in, presents himself as the God who can be trusted. Amen? Amen? That should bring comfort to a church that's facing doubt. They can look back to his track record in the Old Testament and say, this is the God that we can trust in. He also says, I'm the one who holds the keys of David, or the key of David. This name is taken directly from Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two, And this reference to a key is from uh, Revelations 1:18. There are two meanings that, that hold true to this name. Uh, the primary meaning is that he holds the keys to the kingdom and salvation. The secondary meaning, we're going to talk about a little bit later, but that's the, that's the primary meaning, meaning that Jesus holds the keys of salvation. It, it means that he has the power and authority to save. He is the Messiah. So listen, to hearts that are growing faith and trusting Jesus because they're a small church, they're they're feeling marginalized, he presents himself in a way that demands absolute trust. Isn't that a great God? Isn't it a God that, that when we feel like life is being himself, or, or, or being himself, he presents himself in a way that he says, You're the, I'm the only one that is absolutely trustworthy. This is what Jesus is doing to this small church. Jesus' greatness, uh, Jesus is uh, saying our greatness according, is, is, is divine, defined according to our faithfulness to his cause. So that brings me to my first point. Faithfulness means obedience. In verse 8 it says, I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have little power. <laughs> Yet you have kept my word. And not deny my name. If we look at this verse, we probably think that, man, Jesus, why are you dissing this church, man? <laughs> you're saying they got little power. I mean, come on, man. Doesn't that sound like a diss or, or a derogatory term, the way he's talking to them? Man, I, I know you. I know your works. Man, you have, yeah, I, can, I have opened the door before you, but you have little power. Now, let's be honest. It's not a derogatory term. What it is saying is that you have little power, saying that you're small. See, here's the thing. If I tell a short person they're short, that, that's not derogatory. It's just it's just rude. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if I tell a short person they're short, if I say the grass is green outside, y'all not going to argue with me, are y'all? It's not a derogatory term. It's a fact. He's saying you're small and you don't have many resources. But the next thing he says should shock us. He says despite what you lack, you are faithful. One of my favorite movies of all time is this movie called Rudy. Anybody ever seen it? Hey, man, all right, Rudy, hey. Somebody's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I love this movie. It's about a dude named Eugene R- uh, uh, Rudiger, and it's a story about a guy who tried to walk on to uh, uh, Notre Dame's football team. In 1972, this brother showed up without no money, without the grades, or the size to make the football team. Think about that. All odds were stacked against this brother. He was only five foot six, 165 pounds. Come on, y'all. To make a, a, a football team, even in that era, that was really puny. So he shows up to this this school, and they say, man, you can't get in. You can't play football here. So then he goes to junior college. And and while he's at junior college, he says, man, I'm going to get enough grades to transfer. He finds out there he has dyslexia. Come on, man. He finally, he's like, I'm going to get a tutor to help me get grades to transfer. So finally, after two years and three rejections, this guy, Rudy, is like, man, he finally gets into Notre Dame. Then he has to try out for the football team. And his brother's getting tossed around to and fro. This boy's getting knocked out, knocked down. And so finally they feel kind of sorry for him. They're like, man, this brother, at least he works hard. He's, he's kind of good. Huh? <laughs> and so they let him on in the football team, but he can't suit up. Think about that. You didn't made the football team, but you can't even suit up for a game because there are like 85 other players that are much better than you. <laughs> That's got to be deflating. And so next, you know what, man, finally, man, at the, the last game of the season, all the players protested. They said, like, man, Rudy, we want Rudy to play, man. Come on. So they had to convince another brother to, to, to sit down and not suit up so Rudy could sit and uh, suit up. So finally, you see this. this Rudy suits up. And the coach is like, all right, I'll let him suit up. He's on the sideline in the game. And what happens? We see Rudy. You see this chant start to happen. Rudy. Rudy, Rudy, and don't nobody even know his name, but you know, when somebody, one person starts doing something, then everybody starts doing it, right, Rudy, Rudy, and what happens is the coaches are like, "Reluctantly, we ain't got nothing to lose, I'm going to let Rudy in the game, two plays, only a matter of seconds that Rudy gets to play in this game, and you're like, man, he spent four to five years being faithful for seconds in a game. Rudy liked everything to make, the team, uh, to make the team, but he was faithful. Jesus is celebrating this church because they are faithful. How does Jesus describe the church's faithfulness? He says, they have kept my word and not denied my name. Simply plant, well, put, he says, you've done your best to live in obedience to my word. I love what A.W. Tozer says about obedience. He says, obedience means to give earnest attention to the word to submit to its authority and to carry out its instructions. You might be thinking, man, that ain't really much. That, that's us only being a Christian. That's what, what's so special about that? I would say there is something special about it because in, in, the, in the context, there's suffering and there's persecution. And in that context, that when suffering and persecution is happening, it's tempting them to be unfaithful to Jesus. Tripp said it best last week when he talked about Job. He said, suffering is a form of temptation. Suffering makes us want to give up. It tempts us to find other routes that are easier. Amen? We become less obedient. We look for the road of comfort. We stop being faithful, kind of like Sardis, what Richard preached. Listen, I, look, I ain't going to front. I can barely stick to a diet when it gets hard. I can barely be, uh, be godly when I'm in Atlantic traffic. Let's be honest, amen, Oh me. Don't act like it's only me. Some of y'all be, oh boy, on the way here. (laughs) Seen your life. Uh, But the reality is, is that suffering tempts us to deny Jesus. And we believe his way isn't best. I know you're probably like, Pastor Mo, what does it look like to, 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 To keep God's word and not deny his name. Simply put, when you're saying we're talking about keeping his word, it looks like pushing each other to live lives worthy of the gospel. It means having absolute trust in authority of scripture in your life. The Bible says if you love Jesus, you would do what? Obey him. If we say we love Jesus, obedience is the main ingredient to what? Faithfulness. That's what obedience is. It's the main ingredient to faithfulness. What what this could mean for you? It could mean joining a church for some. It could could mean finding people who hold you accountable uh, to give you feedback. This could mean, you know, uh, having somebody mentor you in an area of your life. But we do all this so that we would do one thing. That's obey God's word. Listen, the applications are limitless. The fact of the matter is we must apply it. You must obey God's word. That's what God has called us to do if we're to say we are faithful. So what does it mean to not deny his name? Simply put, that means make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel. This, this, this church was making every use of opportunity to share the gospel, and that brings us to the second meaning of the open door that I just mentioned before. It says, in this open door statement, it, it comes from Paul's letters to the Corinthians and, and Colossians. In Paul's letter, he prays and announces that he'd be given a what? An open door or a wide door for effective evangelism. To preach the gospel. That's important in this context because Jesus is saying that despite all the persecution, despite all the suffering, you have been faithful to share the gospel. And to the faithful, I will give an open door to preach my word. That's, that's what he's saying here. I, uh, and you're probably asking, is that man, uh, they're a weak church. Why not use a, a big church or with a bigger platform? I love what Tim Keller had to say. He says, when it seems like the church is at its weakness, the gospel is at its strongest in the world. When it seems like the church is at its weakest, that it's being defeated, God is doing something in the world. That's important for us to realize when we we look at this church, that they were being used by God to proclaim his goodness, to see others come to know him. A.W. Tozer, I love, I'm reading a book called Paths to Power, he says this, in church history, every return to New Testament power has marked a new advance somewhere, a fresh proclamation of the gospel, an upsurge of missionary zeal. Our faithfulness has to be attached to a cause. Jesus stated his cause. He said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Listen, I know we're looking for, for the church to have power, and we're looking for power within this church, but I'll say this. If you want to see power in the church, we need to see upsurge of evangelism. We need to see people who are willing to go out and give their lives for the sake of the gospel. You want to see revival? Then we need to do missions, people. We need to get out there and do missions and see the power of God through the gospel at work in people's lives. Listen, God gives us open doors if we are faithful. The question is are you faithful to share the gospel when given the opportunity? Are you faithful to share the gospel when given the opportunity? Pat Morley, when I was at a Bible study in Orlando, once said this, God has been faithful to let him lead many men to Christ because he has been faithful to share when given the opportunity. Are you faithful to share? Are you faithful when given the opportunity to share the gospel? Look, Jesus presents himself as the one who has the keys of salvation. And in turn, he gives the keys to the church. We have salvation to bring to the world. That is our main responsibility. That is our main objective, church that we're faithful with the gospel. I remember when I was growing up, I used to have shoes. I used to go shoe shopping for school. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all used to go get them school clothes. Y'all know what it is. Y'all ain't got, you got play clothes, you got school clothes. Amen. Uh, And I remember going shoe shopping. I remember, man, I used to go in there, man, I I would get so excited. My mom bought me my first pair of Nike Airs, and I was like, yeah, they were like gray, black, white, and fluorescent orange. That was the time when fluorescent was in. I mean, like I remember being so excited that I lost sleep because the next day I knew I was going to stunt on them. Boy, I was going to flex on them. And so so, that was funny because, you know, I was like, man, I was so excited I would lose sleep, and I I want to show them off so badly Listen to me. Jesus presents himself in the sex as God Almighty, the Savior of the world. He's worth getting excited for. We do a great job at this, but are we, are we showing him off? The question, are you more impressed with God than you are impressed with your own comfort or even the opinions of man? I think sometimes we're just scared because we feel like people are going to reject us or, or label us, but that keeps us from being faithful. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before man, I, I will be ashamed of you before my father. Listen, are we, are we running to show Jesus off to the world? The Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Let me give you a layup a little bit, because I know sometimes it might feel like I'm just crushing you under this truth, but it's not me trying to crush you. I'm trying to put the pressure off, because if I give you a good definition, I got this from my, my days with crew, and it says, it's take, uh, an, an effective definition for uh, evangelism, effective evangelism is this. It says, taking the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and leaving the results up to God. That's all it is. If we are faithful, God will do the heavy lifting cornerstone. God has given us so many open doors as a church since we started, right? Amen. Can we say amen to that? I look at the bike shop that's over there. I look at the rites of passage program. I look at jobs for life. I I look at the mission trip opportunities that we've had. God has been faithful to give us open doors because we are proclaiming the goodness and the greatness of Jesus. But are we faithful? Are we continuing to be faithful? Our primary job as a church is to stay faithful. Faithful. Listen, faithfulness means obedience. This brings me to my second point. Faithfulness is motivated by God's promises. In these next few verses, Jesus is giving them reason why they should continue to stay faithful. God, in verse 10, is celebrating them for keeping his commands to endure. Yet I believe God wants to pour gasoline on their fire. You know what happens when, when we, if either you have a blazing fire or you have a spark and you pour gasoline on it, it's going to explode no matter what. So I don't know where you're at right now. If you have like a, 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 a little twinkle of a spark in you right now to be faithful to Jesus. I don't know if you're just on fire, but whatever it is, God in his promises pour, pours gasoline on that to make us explode. Amen. And some of us need this encouragement to endure and to keep walking with Jesus. Our power To endure comes from believing the promises of God. The passage shows Jesus at work on behalf of of his faithful church. If you notice the pattern in these verses, God keeps saying, I will, I will. It's repeated five times in four verses. Jesus is faithful to his church. In every letter, Jesus is always on the side of his church. I know there's rebukes. I know there seems like he's condemning his church. But Jesus always does what's best for his church. He is intimately involved with this church, friends. He calls his church his bride. He will do anything to keep his church faithful to him. Anything. So he gives us three promises. He gives us three promises in these next four verses. There's a promise to prevail against their enemies. There's a promise to to preserve their faith and a a promise for permanence in his kingdom. In verse 9, we see that God, Jesus, is promising he will prevail against their enemies. It reads, note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. In this passage, Jesus is talking about their current hardships. This, this church was being persecuted by those who claimed to be Jesus' people. See, in Philadelphia, when you, when you were a Jew and you uh, turned to Jesus, they would kick you out of the synagogue. They would disown you. In fact, the synagogue was denying who Jesus was and rejecting the Christians as God's people. This is why how Jesus presents himself in, uh, before. Is, is powerful. He says, I am the true one who holds the keys to the kingdom. Jesus says, you can't kick my people out. I hold the keys to the kingdom. I hold the keys to salvation. You guys are liars. You are not my people. My people are those who have been inwardly changed, according to Romans 2. Look, Jesus promised to them I'm going to show these people that I love you. This is an undeserved favor from, from Jesus. They said I will, they will come down, and they will come and they will bow down, recognizing that I love you. This is an illustration of of his promise to Israel in Isaiah 60, 14. In this passage, God is promising Israel, his people, he won't turn a blind eye to their suffering. Think about that. And then he he reverses this and he says, we fast forward to Jesus. And he says, I've come and I've gathered a people to myself uh, by my blood. And he says, I'm going to gather a people, both Jew and Gentile, his church. And he's saying, this promise is for us. That Jesus will prevail over our enemies. Jesus won't let us suffer too long. That's what it's saying. Jesus will not tolerate those who are against his church. Look at at the persecuted church around us. Look at those who are living and, 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 and dying for the sake of the cross. Where Jesus says, I won't let that go unpunished. Jesus is saying, I will vindicate them. I, 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 will, I, will, I will right what is wrong. Jesus is saying that you should desire justice. There's nothing wrong with desiring justice, my friends, but we have to realize it's God's justice that is perfect, not ours. We can run around here and act like we know what justice looks like, but we really don't. Only God is just. None of us are just. None of our judgments are just. Only God gives true justice. This is Jesus. He's saying, look, I, 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 I see you. I, I look and see your suffering and I see how they're treating you. But I won't let you suffer to, for too long. This could also be seen as an invitation to those who are, are pure persecuting them. He says, they will know that I have loved you. Maybe this could mean that he will bring salvation to them as well. God is just, and he uses his people's sufferings to draw people to himself. Sometimes when we're going through something, church, it's not for us, but it's to see when people see how faithful we are to our Jesus. They're looking at, whoa, look at this God that they have. How come they're so full of peace? How come they're at rest? How come they're still worshiping Jesus? And they say, I want to know that God. Do you know that God? Do you know the God that gives you peace and rest? I want you to know that, God. Listen, our motivation for faithfulness has to be motivated by God's love. The gospel is the motivating factor to be faithful to Jesus. In the gospel, we see God's powerful promise of his love. What Jesus did by dying and resurrecting proves that he will prevail ultimately. He has already defeated Satan on the cross. This is the only thing that can motivate us to endure, to make every effort to stay faithful. I got a confession. I love my wife. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I love my wife, and as a husband, one of the main things I I, I have to I, I I do is make every effort to stay faithful to Sandy. So we try to have consistent date nights. Amen, baby. I try. I try. <laughs> We try to celebrate our marriage on anniversaries by giving our kids to somebody else and going away. Amen. (laughs) Come on, church. When there's conflict, we try to work it out. We do our best to act godly. At least she does better than I do. Amen. She's my help. (laughs) Listen, I, I avoid going places and doing things that would compromise or tempt me to be less faithful to my wife. Amen. I do everything... To stay faithful. That I I have effort to do to stay faithful. My efforts to stay faithful are motivated by what? My love for Sandy. We have to realize that faithfulness is motivated by God's promises. God's promises are motivated by his love. Question, what are you doing to make every effort to stay faithful to Jesus? Jesus promised to the church, well, he says, yeah, you will no longer be oppressed. Look, in the church, the biggest oppressor of our, of our people is sin. And, and Jesus has already said, I've died so that you will no longer sit under sin's oppression. We are free, church. Let's make every effort to stay that way. The next promise is, is in, found in verse 10. It reads, because you have kept my commands to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world, to test those who live on earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. In this text, God is promising to preserve us. Now this verse is is used to describe the great tribulation. If you don't know what the great tribulation is, it's simply put, it's a time of judgment that will come upon the whole world. It will be a time of great affliction and suffering, and it will be culminated by the return of Jesus to earth. Now, I'm not trying to convince you anything about the Great great Tribulation. Amen? They've written books about it. You can go read them. Just not left behind. Um, (laughs) Because I want to make something clear to you. I don't want to address it, but I want to address it because in John 17, 15, I think Jesus clears it up, that his church will be present during the Great Tribulation. The church will be present during the time of testing. It says that not that I would take you. Jesus' prayer says, I don't want to take you out of this world. But I want to protect you. He says he asked the Father to protect them from the evil one. This promise is to preserve his church. Jesus is not saying that his church won't suffer. What it's saying is he will pre- preserve their faith. Listen to me. God gets no delight in seeing his church suffer. He doesn't get any delight in seeing his church suffer, but he does want to see them faithful. See, suffering has a way of tempting us away from Jesus, but it also has a way of keeping us faithful to Jesus as well. God uses suffering to grow His church. If you look at Acts eight, you—I mean, you see what happens when persecution comes along the church. If you see uh, 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 the, the, when the persecution comes, the, they go out and they spread the gospel. But even in Romans five, verse is three through five, it says this: It says, "Not only that." But we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Listen to this. Proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Listen, Jesus does not waste our sufferings. He doesn't. He uses them so that we will be more faithful to him. How you metabolize pain and suffering will show where you place your hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Is your hope in Jesus or something else? Suffering with the right perspective refines the church. It makes us look like Jesus. So what do you do when you're facing hardships, huh? What do you turn to when things get rough in your life? What do you do? How do you respond? Do you find yourself reading the Bible more? Do you find yourself praying more? What do you do? Do Do you find yourself gathering yourself around Christians who will encourage you to continue to walk with Jesus? Or do you do the opposite? Listen, Jesus is coming soon. This shouldn't put fear in the church, y'all. This shouldn't put fear in our hearts, but it should motivate us to continue to hold on to be Faithful. Jesus is saying, hold on to what you have. This is really an exhortation to prioritize, my friends. We prioritize things that matter the most to us. Amen? In a recent interview an NBA Draft Prospect, I won't say his name. um, He said said his main focus was not to be the best player in the draft, but to be the best player in the NBA. Wow. That's prideful. That's arrogant. That's kind of cocky, isn't it? I would say no. As Christians, we should strive to be focused on being the best Christian we can be. It's only cocky when we do nothing about it. It's only cocky when you say, I'm going to be the best Christian. I'm going to kill it for Jesus. And you don't spend time with Jesus. There's no time in his word. There's no time witnessing to other people. There's no faithfulness in your life. No effort given. Look, we cannot lose focus, church. In Jesus' eyes, our greatness is defined by our faithfulness. This is why in Hebrews it tells us to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen to me, we really don't have anything in this world but Jesus. We, we can pretend like we can take everything with us. Like the things that we do, me, even my kids, my wife, those things will all fail and pass away. But Jesus stands forever. I don't know about you, but when I'm driving around Atlanta, uh, I, I drive with destination, Amen. I don't know about y'all. If y'all been in the city long enough, y'all know y'all, y'all don't just drive around Atlanta just exploring. Come on, guys. Let's go explore something. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Gas costs too much for me. Y'all know I'm cheap. Uh, <laughs> Even when I'm trying to explore the city, I know where I'm going now. When I'm trying to explore the city, <laughs> I, I have a GPS to tell me how to get back home. We don't just live life aimlessly. We we look towards a destination. It's like driving through Atlanta because you'll find obstacles in driving through Atlanta. Amen? 75, 85, come on, the connector. But but, but look, it's going to take us off our course. It's going to make us doubt if we're actually going to make it on time to the destination, right? Just like there's obstacles on the roadways, there's obstacles in our life, and I don't know what it's going to be for you. I don't know if it's going to be you losing a job. I don't know if it's going to be you getting sick. I I don't know if it's you losing a, a loved one. But God has given us a GPS, and it's his word to help us fix our eyes and not lose hope. Jesus is our treasure. Where your treasure will be, that's where your heart will be. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure right now? Where do you place all your hope and your dreams in? What kind of success are you chasing right now? They, they were a small church. They were, had no resources. They were broke, y'all. They didn't have anything. Their, their, their faithfulness was, to Jesus was, was their treasure. We cannot lose focus, friends. We don't want we, we to run aimlessly through life. Jesus has promised to preserve their faith. We need to focus on the things that count, like keeping God's word, like being faithful not to deny his name. The last promise we find in verse 12 is a promise for permanence in his kingdom. It reads, the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. I love this phrase, the one who conquers. It's repeated over and over and in all the letters. It means the one who is faithful to the end. That's all it really means. When we talk about the series of conquer, we're saying we're trying to make it. We're trying to be faithful to the very end, to Jesus. Amen? Paul in 2 Timothy proclaiming that I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. What it means to conquer, church, it means to keep the faith. It means that we have held on to what we have, which is Jesus. That's what it means to conquer. We don't lose hope in him and him alone. In the last promise, Jesus is showing them their fate to a church that is, feels vulnerable, to a church that's feeling like, man, we don't have anything to hold on to. My mama used to say, I ain't got two dimes to rub together or two pennies to rub together. That's how they felt. They had nothing. Jesus is telling them to hold on because I'm going to give you Security. If you own your home, you know, like me, I own a home, and, and if you find holes in, in your, in, on the outside of your home, it's like an evite for rodents and roaches and all kinds of critters, right? Amen? Y'all say, mm, that's true, man. Like, let's be real. Like, what do you do when you find holes on the outside of your home? You secure them. Amen? This is what Jesus is telling us. I see where you're most vulnerable, and I'm going to bring you security. They've been kicked out of the synagogue. Jesus says, I'm going to make you a pillar in my temple. They've been persecuted in a prominent city. I'm going to give you my name and the city of my God. Some of us might not be familiar with the language here, but, but the temple and pillar, pillar are symbols of, God, of our permanence in God's presence. Jesus saying, you'll be in my presence forever. You will never leave my side. No one can separate you from me. You will be with me for eternity. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Permanence. Church, the only people who find comfort in being with Jesus forever are those who have placed their trust in them, right? In him, right? If you haven't, you won't find this to be comforting at all. You will find this to be fearful because one day you'll have to meet a holy God who you do not meet the requirements to satisfy his wrath. But Jesus did. That's the good news of the gospel. The second promise is of this new city that Jesus is creating for those who have been faithful to him called the New Jerusalem. If we look back, we see sin has destroyed our fellowship with God. Jesus died to restore that fellowship, and now we're in the waiting room. Shout out to Trip. <laughs> Amen. There it is. And if we look forward to, to Revelation 21, we see God has restored all things. To the faithful church who endures, Jesus is saying, your home is really with me. See, look, y'all, all this we have right here, this even this building would all pass away. We can put our hope in trying to get a new church building. We can put our hope in trying to grow our numbers. But the only thing that will not pass away is the promises of God. Amen or oh me. Church, have you placed your trust in Jesus so we can celebrate? Because our end and our faith is to be with him forever. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate. This is why we sing songs to Jesus. This is why we anticipate his coming. If I put my hope on this planet, I will, I will be crushed. I'm trying to convince you do not put your hope on what's here and what's seen, but put your hope in what's not seen. Have faith in Christ and his return. He says, I'm coming soon. You better be ready for me, baby. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church who he purchased with his blood. This is our Jesus. Oh, he loves us so much that he gave himself for us. Where do we find security? In life. Nowhere but in The gospel of Jesus Christ, this is what this little church did. They found security in Jesus, and so they were faithful to him. They're they're being persecuted. They're wavering. They're like, man, what what can I do, Lord? Give me a reason why I should continue on. He says, it's in the future that you have everything, not in the now. Look, y'all, we treat Jesus like trusting the lottery. Like there's a one in one trillion chance that he's going to come back and come get his bride. Nah, we can bet on that. Jesus is coming back for us. Amen. It's, it's as much as we can trust, the day is going to, to the night, that the water is wet, that, that the, 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 the skies are blue, at least not on the 3rd of June, but we're going to trust that Jesus is coming back. He's a sure thing. We have to put our hope in the fact that we will be united with Christ forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We get to be with our king in heaven. We need to celebrate, church. We need to clap and rejoice in the fact that we get to be with our king. That's what I celebrate. We can't live our lives daily thinking that, man, this at this turn we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna find success. It's fool's goal, y'all. I have too many friends with these, these these puffy messages about be great. Your greatness is only as much as you follow and you're faithful to Jesus. Jesus is our hope. I, I love this this, this this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. I think it wraps up this text really well. It says, therefore, we do not give up. Say, don't give up. Say, don't give up. Say, don't give up. It says, therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. For the momentary light affliction is producing, listen to this, for us an, an absolute, incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not what lose focus. We don't uh, focus on what unseen or what seen. We don't. We focus. On, we do not focus on what is seen, but we focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is what eternal listen friends don't give up continue to fight the good fight of faith know that there's nothing that matters to Jesus more than your faithfulness our greatness is defined by our faithfulness to the cause of Christ this is how we display our greatness in our everyday lives as we say as a, as a church our mission statement is to display the greatness of Jesus Christ in our everyday lives and that's what Jesus desires from from us I love verse 13 because it's extremely important. It says that anyone who has ears, hear and listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. If anyone has an ear, listen. This is a warning, but it's also a, 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 a delight, something we can delight in, that Jesus is saying, wake up. I'm trying to get your attention. Don't waste your life. I'm coming back. Stay faithful to me. Patiently endure. I'm coming back for my church. This is a beautiful message to those who are struggling right now. This should be encouraging to our church because if you're struggling right now, I'm going to give you some hope. It doesn't matter if you just have a little bit of faith. It says the faith the size of a mustard seed will move mountains. So if you've got a little bit of faith, hold on to what you have. Take hold of what Paul says, I gave to you of, of first importance, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold on to it, church. Please hold on. He loves you. He's coming back for you. Just a few words of application to this text. Uh, first one is to say, uh, be useful. God has called us to be faithful. Commit ourselves to reading and following God's word. Live how he says in, his, in the Bible to say we are supposed to live. Look for open doors of opportunity and be faithful to share with those in those spaces, I mean, we all got neighbors. How many of you? How many people that have neighbors and they share the gospel with them? In first, uh, first John, it says uh, in the first few verses, it says, "Make my joy complete." Their joy is complete when people know and receive and hear the gospel and receive it with with, with gladness. That should be our joy. The second one is be safe. Endurance only happens in community. We have to be around people that will keep. They'll help keep our eyes on Jesus and what matters most. The best way to do that is joining the church. I always tell people, the church is for people who really can admit they need help. That means everybody. Everybody needs to admit that we need help. We cannot think apart from others that we can receive the rewards that God has promised for us. Man, just get, find really good relationships. People that will hold you accountable who will continue to point you to Jesus. And the last one is be prepared. Dedicate your life to loving Jesus more than life itself. Let me say it again. Dedicate your life to loving Jesus more than your own life itself. That's the cost of discipleship, that we will lay down our lives for Jesus. Our hearts have to be more enamored with Jesus and the things of this world. We cannot think that there won't be any distractions or roadblocks in our lives, church. Now, as a Christian, we face many roadblocks. The the Bible even, Jesus even said this, in this life there will be tribulation or troubles. Remember, there's always grace. And I want to tell you this. Man, some of us, we feel defeated all the time. But you can get back up again by the grace of God. You can always get back up. As long as there's breath in your lungs, you can get back up. Why don't you pray with me? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, our daily bread and forgive us of our sins because, so we can forgive those who sin against us, Lord. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, because we know that yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power forever and ever. Amen.